You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Barron, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Barron's 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show. We have our first returning guest, I think it is. It is our first returning guest. I didn't even think about that. No, that's exciting. That I means know. we've been doing this for a while, and we might, you know, have an actual bunch of people out there listening. I don't know. Maybe so. So... <laughs> We have Kristen Rowell today, and she was on our past episode 27, and this is now episode 58. So it's been a little while, Kristen. Yes, it is. It's good to see you guys and be here as a guest. I am laughing thinking, since I'm the first return guest, either you guys are very experienced in this space, or I'm old, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Or or just very interesting. Maybe that's it. Just very interesting, with lots of information. True. So we had met you, of course, back uh, at Low Carb San Diego and then had you on the show. And then we got to see you again recently at KetoCon in Austin and you got to present there, which was amazing. Thank you so much. It was so fun to have you guys there and to get the feedback from the audience at KetoCon. I had such a great time on stage and just connecting with all the people in that awesome community. It was a really amazing opportunity. So I had a good time. Did you guys enjoy it? Oh, 100%. Oh yeah. KetoCon was great. Uh, your presentation was awesome because it was, it was different from everyone else's where we'll, I will talk about how you give people the way ahead. You give them the plan, which I think is important because you always want to hear other people's stories and that's absolutely great. But a lot of people that are there, uh, they're looking for the way ahead. How do I do what you're doing? And you gave that in uh, a really good uh, frame so people could use it and go forward. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. One of the things I did after the second KetoCon is I remember it being at the first KetoCon in 2017 and then being at the second KetoCon in 2018 and basically feeling like information overload. It's all awesome information and it's so exciting but there's also so much of it in such a short period of time because they're there for three full days. And so I actually sat and chatted with some people and just said, you know, if there was another thing that could be presented here, what sort of stuff would you like? And the resounding theme that I got from people is they wanted to know more about the how. Okay, we get all of this what information and we're getting great stuff thrown at us. But now how do I actually take that and implement it into my life? And I thought, you know, that's something that no one's ever done here. And I know about that because I've implemented keto into my own life for so many years now. And I've tried various experiments. And so I figured that would be a really good opportunity to share my my strategy and my method for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that you're so right because we go to a lot of the conferences and there's so much information and people walk away going, okay, so I know that a ketogenic, a carnivore or a low carb diet is best for me, but I don't know how to start. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to implement it. What, just tell me what to eat. That's what we hear a lot. Just tell me what to eat. And so that was what was so great about your presentation is not only did you give a plan, but you also gave people some tools that they could go home with, which was fantastic because that's always the missing piece, always for people. Yeah, it really is. And in fact, for your listeners, um, just because you guys are having me on again today towards the end of the show, I can give that um, number that they can text to so they can get my six-week meal plan that they can try on their own too. That'll be awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because we we did that and... We got it. So yeah, good. It's really amazing. And it's so easy. Anybody can do it if they just, you know, if they just do it, that's that's the hardest part. But so many people get stuck on the, I don't know what to eat for breakfast. I don't know what to have for lunch. What about a snack? And it's just all in one place. So you guys at the end, you need to hang on because you're going to want that information. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, last time we talked to you, you'd only done like just a few marathons, like 22. Or <laughs> yeah, just a handful. Just a couple <laughs> here and there. Um, 
uh, and you were going on and uh, I think we talked about you're going to go, you know, qualify, do the Boston. How many more have you done since we've talked to you last? So since our last conversation, I've run two more. So I'm up to a total of 24. Mm-hmm. I ran Twin Cities Marathon in October of 2018. And then this year, or the first time since 2013, I ran the Boston Marathon again. So I actually had not run it again since the year of the bombing, because of course I ran it the year of the bombing. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty emotional to be back there and to run the race again. And it was also interesting to see just how different the organization is at the start and how you can't have bags of things with you. I mean, they've really ramped up the security there, which is a good thing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was really different. It was, it was. Um, Okay, so Boston Marathon, and again, that's that's really historical, and and just to be able to get to do that, I'm sure, is, is a great thing, and you've done it twice now, so that's really cool. Actually, that was my, I ran it in 2003, 2005, 2009, 2013, and this year, so that was my fifth Boston. Well, <laughs> you know, if somebody doesn't know marathoning, then they might not know that you have to qualify yeah. in another marathon before you can go to Boston. So yeah. this means that you've had to qualify for it all five times and you have to have a pretty slamming pace to, yeah. to be able to go to the Boston. Yeah. Yeah. It's, awesome. it's a great experience and something that I wish everyone could participate in. I know they do a lot of charity runners also. So there are people that don't qualify that are able to run it, which is a neat opportunity that's given, but I had a great time this year just as I always do. And it was really emotional for me because one of the things that I'm sure we'll get into this is I was around that time. Also, I had made the decision to leave my law practice and start my own business. And so I just had a lot of emotion about my life in general going on at that time. I was listening to, since meditation has been my new form of sanity in the last few years, I was listening to um, some performance meditation podcasts on the bus ride on the way to the start. And just like crying and overcome with emotion. It was a really cool experience. So real fun. Marathon runners cry, by the way, guys. So often they cry at the end after it's over. <laughs> Good point. I think this year I was crying at about mile 17. That was a pretty brutal mile for me. So, wow. Oh, uh, and yeah. so, you know, you talked a lot in our last episode with you in on episode 27 about meditation and how, that had impacted your life. And you just mentioned that you were in the middle of leaving your practice and you were going to start a business. And so how has that played out? I mean, that's a big decision. Do you want to veto for this? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. Yes, actually I do. Um, I think it's a combination of the breaking my leg, starting keto finding meditation and frankly, all of those things coming together to really catapult my success. I thought this is more than just random happenstance. All of this has come together in order to make me decide that really speaking, coaching in this health and wellness space about the ketogenic diet and macronutrients in general and overall health is really what's important. In fact, I, um, and I think you guys probably heard me say this during my talk, I'm now in school to get my nutritional therapy practitioner degree. And so I'll be finished with that program in November. And I can't say enough good things about that program. It's been super, super cool to be a part of. Yes. We'll be NTP sisters. Yes. Yes. It's an awesome program. And I know that when uh, you started your presentation at KetoCon, I was like, yes, this is so NTP. (laughs) Because you had us all stand. And I was like, this is exactly what we do. We have everybody get grounded first because you have to be receptive to the information. So it was really awesome. I'm excited for you because it's it's such a good program. Yeah, It really is. And I think the thing that I'm the most excited about it is, you know, like you guys, I spend so much of my free time educating myself about all things nutrition, health and wellness and fitness. And so to put myself into this structured program that really goes back to the foundation so that we have the skills to be able to help teach people Mm -hmm. how to identify and deal with the symptoms they're experiencing and really treat those through diet and through nutrition and through health and through lifestyle changes. I mean, one of the things that I observed about myself, even going into the first weekend 
for the nutritional therapy practitioner program is I was moving at 110 miles an hour, typical me, super busy. I had been lawyering intensely all week. I was doing my homework at night. I was so adrenally depleted, even when I got to the start of the weekend that I've even transformed since then, which was just in April. So that's exciting too, just to see the changes I've made since enrolling in the program. Yes, that is awesome. And the program will do that to you. It will change you. You'll you leave it a different person with, you know, a whole new world of information that you're like, yes, why doesn't everyone know this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone yes. needs to know their body. But it's it's awesome to be able to do that. Like you said, you can help people find root causes and rather than band-aids and rather than, you know, you'll get people like I do who have exhausted the doctors in the medical community. And they can't figure out what's wrong. And then they simply come and you're like, well, you're dehydrated. It's as simple as that. And no one can figure it out. And you're like, really? So it's amazing how you can, you know, you can, you can pinpoint those signs and symptoms like that. Um, But now with that practice, you have started your own business. I have, I have. So my new business is called Energetically Efficient. I mean, it's so new. I'm still working on the website. I've done some updates on LinkedIn and sort of announced it over Instagram, but I'm working on my website and my intention with the business is to be speaking to thousands of humans on stage in as many forums as I can find and to consult for companies and businesses and to coach for individuals. So those are kind of the three ways that I'm going to serve, um, which is obviously getting done with lawyering altogether. So no more lawyering. And I'm going to serve in speaking, consulting, and coaching. And I've already had so many awesome opportunities presented to me. And I'm serving clients already. It's really fun. That is awesome. And so are you finding that you're, you're any, any of your colleagues or your family, do they think you're insane for doing this to leave your practice? Actually, I think not necessarily insane. They're looking at me like, oh my God, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So it's funny. I keep saying I'm going to eventually write a book called Going Out on Top because I found out that for this year, I'm a top 50 uh, female attorney in Minnesota. So it's like, I really am leaving. When I say I'm leaving at the top of my game, I actually mean it. And that's not to be bragging about it. It's just to say, you can be really good at something and you can love something. And you can also evolve out of it and decide to follow a different spiritual path, which is exactly what I'm on. So that's been really rewarding for me. Uh, One of my partners who will remain nameless gave me the nicest compliment. He said, Kristen, I am so excited for you. It's actually kind of a waste for you to be a lawyer because you have all these other talents, which was so (laughs) sweet of him to say. And I was like, you're just trying to make me feel better. But it was an emotional transition. I mean, I did that work for almost 17 years. So my aura ring was proof. The day that I left the firm, which was June 7th, I was pretty emotional all day and I went home and my aura ring told me I slept for 12 hours and 44 minutes that night. And I said, that was literally coming down from 17 years of the practice of law. You know, I've been so running on empty for so long Mm -hmm. that I'm feeling my hormones balance out. My cortisol levels are coming down. It's really amazing how these lifestyle changes that I've been implementing slowly over time over the past couple of years, I can fully step into now in this new career, which is awesome. That is amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, and you, sometimes you don't realize how stressed you are because it's so normal until you get out of that environment and you're given that, that uh, you know, ability to decompress and it just happens. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much pressure I was under all that time. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the things that was a huge aha for me, both in terms of joining the NTP program and then just in terms of creating my own life where I'm my own boss now. That was a really big lesson for me because I did not realize how stressed I was. In fact, with some of my old partners and other friends in the legal community who have said they want to hire me in terms of coaching, one of the first things I'm going to be doing with them is working on breath work and meditation and stuff to get them in their parasympathetic system because I probably spent the first 41 years of my life or 40 years of my life in my sympathetic nervous system and had no idea. You know, and, and now, of course, looking back with hindsight, I realized that falling and breaking my leg in 10 places in 2013 was part of the universe saying, I need you to slow down. And I didn't listen. And then in 2016, I actually fell on my deck and hurt my lower back and was in the hospital for a couple of days. 
again, not listening. So, you know, we get these signs from the universe all the time. And it's just a matter of when we're ready to receive them that we're able to sort of wake up, as I call it. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so also we talked about you're doing a marathon still, how is the, uh, the pro bodybuilding going? How's that? Yeah. So I had my pro debut in May of this year. And here's what I will tell you. I felt that I performed well and the competition was a lot stiffer. So one thing that's exciting for me, because I don't know if you guys have ever taken strength finders, but in my strength finders exam, I'm number four for competition. So I love competition and I actually like when competition is better. So this was really tough. There were, I think, 10 of us on stage together, women from all over the Midwest. And when we got out on stage, the judges said to us, ladies, you better be prepared to be up here a long time because this is a really good class. And it was. So there were a lot of amazing figures. And I think if I had to look back on the fact that I didn't place in this competition, but it was my pro debut, so I'm still learning. The biggest thing that I probably didn't, prioritize that much was my posing. And when you get to the pro level, some of these women are literally practicing their posing every single day. I was not, I was busy lawyering still. So, (laughs) you know, I just, I wasn't focused on it that much. And that's what I would do differently going forward to my next pro competition. And, you know, a lot of people think posing, practice posing, but if anyone's ever done that before, it's exhausting. Mm. It's exhausting and it's warm and you're sweating and you're on stage. So when you're holding these poses for a long time, your muscles are shaking because you're actually tensing. So you really do have to practice those moves so that they become second nature as you're doing your turns and everything else. And so that you have the strength to hold for that long. Right. It, it is It is not easy. I've seen a lot of people who have done bodybuilding. We've had other friends who've done it. And it's just like, that is an art form right there. Just holding those poses because you have to, you have to hit them at the right time, right? While you're on stage. And, uh, oh, I don't, I don't know. That seems like it would be a very difficult thing to do with all the eyes on you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I keep saying that my bodybuilding has sort of between the trial lawyer for as many years as I did. And now the bodybuilding, both of those passions have prepared me for being on stage to speak. You know, yes, before I was on stage with my body and now I get to be on stage with my words, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and you know, just seeing your presentation down to KetoCon, it was you were very comfortable and very natural on stage. So, you know, you're going to do really well. Um, something that we want to talk about, though, uh, and we were kind of hitting this before we, we got on uh, got on record was uh, we've heard because you do bodybuilding, you do marathons. And uh, we talked about before how you can't do that. Like you just can't do that. Nobody can. Um, so talk about, uh, Melody, you covered it, the, the running the yes. marathon, being keto. Right. So in the keto space, you know, there's the conversation of if you're going to do high endurance or, or high intensity workouts, if you're going to do something that's intense for more than an hour that you have to eat glucose so, or some sort of carbohydrate, you have to consume a glucose source, um, And people will say, you know, you can't run in something like the Boston Marathon without consuming carbs. That's basically the gist of it. Keto or not, hands down, you can't do it. And at the same time, when I hear this in the keto world, my first, my very first thought is Kristen Rowell. That's my very first thought because I know that I know someone who totally disproves that theory that it can't be done. And yep. and of course you do that with the bodybuilding and with the marathoning because people say you can't ride both of those horses mm-hmm. at the same time. And you, you've proven that wrong. So what is your experience with that theory? Yeah. So it's a great question because I also, like you guys, I laugh when I hear that both of those myths, one that you can't be a marathon runner and be a bodybuilder. Cause I said, okay, well, you haven't met me yet. And two, that you absolutely have to have carbohydrates to run a successful marathon. And I just think both things are completely false because I'm proof of them. So I want to address the issue of the glucose and the marathoning first, and then I'll speak to the marathoning and bodybuilding second. When I ran the twin cities marathon in 2015, that was my comeback marathon after my leg break. Now, There is no question that because I put a lot of pressure on myself to have my comeback marathon, that I trained really hard. I had a really good running coach. I did all of my speed workouts. And then marathon day came, and it was a fantastic day weather-wise. And I ran that whole thing ketogenic. 
I had a steak and I think some broccoli or kale the night before. I had steak with butter. I didn't have anything the next morning until right before the race started. I did one packet of coconut butter. And then I didn't consume anything during that race other than water. And I brought some exogenous ketones because I knew the exogenous ketones had such a high sodium content that it would help with my electrolytes. I felt fantastic during that race. I did not bonk at mile 20. I didn't bonk two hours into the race. And I ran a 319.03, which is about a 736 pace or 735 pace. It was awesome. The experience was wonderful. I had trained, fasted, fat adapted for the months leading up to that race. I'm sure if you pick someone off the street who's a beginning marathoner, it's probably true for them that they will need glucose during the race. But it's really all about the training. So in the Boston Marathon this year, I didn't have as good of a race, but truth be told, training in Minnesota this last winter was awful. I did 90% of my long runs on treadmills. So you can imagine how fun it is to pound out 18 miles on a treadmill. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, so my training admittedly was not as good for this race. And unfortunately, the Boston Marathon starts later. So the logistics of getting everyone out to Hopkinton in the morning, you just can't have a 7 or 8 a.m. start. So the race doesn't even start till 10. And then by the time the corrals go through, I was shortly before 11, which was the latest race I've ever done. I ran completely fasted and I did have a tough time with the heat and everything else. So I've had different experiences on it. But my point is, if you are trained, fat adapted, and you have your body started out the race burning fat as fuel. I don't believe that you have to have glucose to complete a successful marathon because I've done it. I've done it. So that is sort of my response to that. Now, in hindsight, what I really wish is that I had tested my ketones the morning of that marathon so I could see where I was at. Or, you know, in a perfect world, someone would test my ketones at the halfway point and at the end so that I knew where I was at because obviously I was burning ketones for fuel. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the glucose myth comes from the reality is outside of the ketogenic community, there are very few people in our world, frankly, that are fat adapted, that, whose bodies know how to burn fat for fuel. People are walking around so carbohydrate overloaded that it's true. They do need carbohydrates to continue to fuel them. I mean, I'll go back to 2012 before I was keto. In, and I think I shared this on the last time you guys interviewed me, but my Fargo marathon in May of 2012, I did one of those goo packs every five miles. Wow. Because my body was so addicted to it. And can you imagine the gut rot that I felt when I crossed the finish line? I mean, my stomach was like, get this sugar out of me. This is disgusting. And I just felt weighed down and gross. So, you know, transformed by 2015. And I had such a better race. I felt better. I had high energy. I mean, my mind felt clear while I was running. It's all of the benefits of the ketogenic diet. So I totally disagree that you have to have glucose. Um, Then on this issue of bodybuilding and, and marathoning, obviously, since I did the Boston Marathon in April and then my pro debut in May, I believe that you can do both. Now, I've always say I don't think I look like the typical runner because I keep more musculature on. But muscle building, I think, is so important for runners in terms of preserving our joints, preventing knee damage, preventing stress fractures. We need strong bones to take that kind of pounding that we do to our bodies regularly. So again, because I do both, I believe that you can do both. And I'll challenge anyone who tells me I can't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We talk about that, how, you know, it'd be great, uh, you know, Everybody has an aspiration at some point, you know, like, yeah, I want to run a marathon, but I don't want to look like a marathoner. I don't look like most people who run a marathon. They look like they're running away from, uh, uh, you know, they've just been a prisoner of war and they just got out and that's what they're running from. They look, they have no muscle. So, uh, you know, someone like you that, that runs it and, you know, has a lot of muscle is impressive. And we were talking about this earlier is if you have more muscle, would you in theory have more glycogen stored up for the run? So that's a great question. And I do wonder if part of my success and my ability to run a longer distance without the need to carbohydrate fuel is because I have more stored glycogen because, you know, it goes into your muscle tissue and I obviously have a tremendous amount of muscle tissue. So that could be one of the reasons that allows me to do it. 
Yeah. And that's, that was something that I was, I was thinking because, you know, like we said, uh, there's just a lot of marathoners who don't believe that you can do both and they don't probably prioritize the strength training as much to put on muscle. And you think you're going to be heavy or, you know, it's going to slow your run down, but in theory, it makes you longevity like you yeah. said, uh, so much better because you prevent injury. And then the glycogen storage on top of that is such a bonus as mm-hmm. well. And plus it's time. And, you know, training for a marathon is, is so grueling in itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, your approach to how you keep the muscle is, is drastically different from what most people think they have to do. You know, you're twice, twice a week, about 30 minutes at a time is really different. And, and you've been able to do that. And that's a small amount of weightlifting, but still maintain that amount of muscle uh, you know, and I think it's because you're keto. That's one of the reasons you can do it. Yep. Yep. Because I prioritize, I really prioritize the lifting weights with the protein and fat macronutrient ratio and staying in a fat adapted state as much as I can so that I am producing ketones, which are of course, muscle sparing. So I'll share a fun fact with you real quick that I was just thinking about in terms of this marathoning and lean muscle tissue, my, um, gym where I do the 30 minutes twice a week, just recently sent out an email because they, we test regularly in the bod pod. And there's one of the women who works there who ran her first marathon. She tested in the bod pod before her first marathon. And not surprisingly, that was actually her worst bod pod results in terms of her body fat and her lean muscle tissue. She had lost some. So it goes to show that like the lean muscle tissue and the body fat, it really, the strength training is so important. You know, I only take a 10 days to two weeks off of strength training before my marathons. And I'm chomping at the bit to get back in the gym because I hate being without my strength training. It's way more important to me than any cardio could ever be. So are you still maintaining the twice a week at, at about that 30 minute increment of weight training? And I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but uh, I know that you always train to muscle failure. So is that still your approach? It is. I'd say the only thing that I've changed in the last few years, because that has been my approach twice a week, every week since 2007. Um, The only thing I've changed in the last few years is I've added, I have uh, friends that own this gym where they have one of these bar classes. Okay. So that's the small muscle stuff Mm -hmm. and it's a bar sport. So it's a really unique class where we're doing cardio bursts and then some like light weights where you're holding it forever. I feel like that amped up my musculature a little bit because what I observe is since I do all of my heavy weight lifting on machines, there's just certain little muscles you can't get to. And so now that I've added the bar, I feel like some of that little muscle stuff has, has elevated my strength beyond just the really heavy duty lifting. The difficulty with it is I spend a lot of my week being sore. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, don't, don't you just find, I was telling a friend the, uh, just yesterday I was like I feel like I live in a chronic state of sore <laughs> time but I'm, I'm fine with that because I'm sick and twisted so <laughs> well so have you thought about changing your routine at all since now you know you have your own business which oftentimes you're you're just as busy or, or busier than when you had a career have you thought about changing things up since now kind of you own your time a little more Yeah, that's a great question. I've actually been kind of playing around with some different things. I right now, since I'm really only a month in from not lawyering, I'm still sort of addicted to the I need to be at the gym at 5.30, You know, I'm feeling guilty if I want to have a sleep in day, but I am trying to really listen to my body more. So one thing I've incorporated because I have a little more time is I'm doing walks at night. So let's say I have a day where I decide I need to carb cycle and increase my carbs for that day. And I typically try to time that on a day where I've lifted. So I'll lift fasted in the morning. I'll have some protein right after, or I'll fast. And then I might have some carbs that day. And the reason that I've started to do that, and I shared this from stage, is I actually went a number of months last year where I didn't get a menstrual cycle at all. And so I thought, you know, that I can't just attribute to body fat because I think my body fat is you know, it's lean, but it's not abnormally lean. And really what I think it came down to more than anything is the amount of stress I was experiencing at work at the time. I had some emergency motions, I had trial. And so what it does is it jacks up your cortisol when you're in those fight or flight states. And then it suppresses your progesterone because your body will always choose survival over reproduction, 
right? This is something that we even learn in NTP school, Melda, you know. So so because of that, I thought, well, at the time, I wasn't really sure because I was kind of unconscious about the fact that the stress was causing it. So I've incorporated a few carb days and that's some of the experimenting I'm doing. And then if I have some, I try to make sure I'm doing these longer walks at night because there's a lot of research around if you consume any carbohydrates, sort of getting your body to use those and getting your blood sugar down right away prevents there from being this insulin spike that the average American gets every time they consume food. Right. Will you give a few examples maybe of what you carb cycle in so that somebody's interested? Yeah. So one of the things, and I learned this from a coach I worked with years ago, is I will do, it's gluten-free and it's a breakfast cereal, but it's just regular buckwheat. I'll eat through organic buckwheat. And so I may have that in the morning on a day where I don't fast, which is, you know, like today I fasted until almost one o'clock or I think it was one o'clock, but on a lifting day, I may try to incorporate that buckwheat. And because I don't want just straight carbs, I add a whole scoop of protein powder. And so I think I, um, it's something that I want to make sure I share in some of my meal plans going forward because protein powder, buckwheat, and like a half a cup of raspberries tastes like dessert, (laughs) especially (laughs) especially if you don't consume, consume carbs that much because it just feels sugary. And I buy protein powders that have a flavor to them. So there's a lot of stevia flavored protein powders that are really delicious. I'll do that. I'll also every once in a while add jasmine rice, although I don't love rice. And then the only other thing really is sweet potato. So I'm going back and forth between, between those them. carbohydrates. Yep. So that's, that's some really good ideas because they're, you know, if someone is uh, having a lot of stress, sometimes it's just that little bit of carb helps to, you know, kind of reset, let the adrenals take a break. And then getting out and doing a walk is not only going to help with the carbohydrates, but it's mentally as well, because walks are like a form of meditation. Oh, they totally are. And I'm lucky that I live four blocks off of a really beautiful lake right in the city of Minneapolis. And there's a chain of them and they're all linked together and there's an awesome walking and biking trail around all of them. So it really is meditative for me to be around those in the evening. And I just, I enjoy that time. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, all those carbs you mentioned that, you know, we say carbs and a lot of times people demonize carbs, but everything you listed was, was very clean and very real unprocessed food. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things that I try to help people understand is, you know, if I say I'm having a carb up, it doesn't mean like a cheat day, go hog wild nuts with pizza and French fries. And, you know, I mean, people can do that. And then I just say, okay, then if you did that, see how you feel. And I want you to journal about how you feel. And, you know, 10 times out of 10, like crap. And I had no energy the next day and I didn't sleep well. And, you know, these things happen for a reason. So, I've just had enough experiments with my body over the years to know that I just don't feel good when I have that stuff. Right. Yeah. I understand that too, because if there's, we know after being keto for so long and then carnivore, there's, it's real easy to detect how a food affects you when you add something back in, you're like, well, my joints are swollen. So I guess that's a bad food for me and I won't consume that anymore. It's just real easy to tell once you've kind of gone this route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, I'm really, you know, there's car- the carnivore movement's been happening for a while. So I'm, of course, super curious about it. My body absolutely loves meat and loves protein. So I think it would be something that would work well for me. How long have you guys done it? And what have been, is it something that you have really enjoyed? Well, we started the fir- at first in January of 2018, at, and we started like three days before low carb in West Palm Beach in 2018. And we went for a full year, and then, um, then we got kind of comfortable. We felt really great, and I don't know why, as humans, we do this. We felt really great, so we were like, how about we add this back in? And so we started doing a little bit of that. Um, he is, Steve has pretty much stayed carnivore. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she was adding some more, she was experimenting more than I was adding some, you know, some stuff back in. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, nah, I don't, I don't need to do that. But we have made some changes lately that made a huge difference. We, we took out dairy. Oh, <laughs> I can't, honestly, it is dairy. every time I try to put dairy back in, I'm like, yep, that's why I don't eat it. Yeah. And I do. I do go in these phases where I think, oh, I can have a little bit of this and that. Every time I do, I regret it. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I had some sleep disturbances for a while where I was having difficulty going to sleep and I was probably overtraining a little bit and then not, I was not recovering as well. So I thought, well, maybe I need to add in some carbohydrates. And so I experimented with that and it, it, it didn't seem to help for the long term. So I took that back out and really now I figured out, you know, it's always experimenting. I figured out that I can't have dairy I tried. I knew I couldn't have cheese and I was fine with that. I made peace with it. But whipped cream, heavy cream in my coffee was the one thing I was still holding on to. And, you know, it just got to the point where I was having inflammation in my fingers where I would wake Uh, up and couldn't close my hand real well. And I just thought, you know, the whipped cream doesn't taste as good as feeling healthy. So let's ditch it. That would be really, I mean, we did it for, you know, we're still doing it actually. We're, we're back on it pretty strict. And as far as how we like it, I mean, it's just so simple. It makes, it makes life so easy, especially for people. Like if you're talking to lawyers there, a lot of times they're in decision overload. Yes. They have to make so many decisions. So this is one thing where if you're eating very simple, which carnivore is very simple, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, stuff out there. So it makes it like, all right, I just eat this all the time and it makes less decisions. For me, she's laughing. Melly's laughing at me because I make so many food decisions in the house. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I, he just eats. Well, I will tell you that when I got done with my run this morning, I stopped at the grocery store. It was 7.30 in the morning because I was out of groceries. And so I bought some bison. I brought, bought some chicken meatballs. And I got as close as I pulled the beef liver out of the casing. And I looked at it and I almost bought it. And then I just couldn't do it. So I'm close. I'm getting there. I will eventually do it. Yeah, the beef liver. So, you know, okay, there is the debate within, just like in the keto world and the carnivore world with the carbs and the and the high intensity training, interval training, uh, and like CrossFit and things like that. Um, there's the debate of like, do you have to eat organ meats or can you just eat ribeyes for the rest of your life? And there are people who've done both and they thrive. So it's hard to say which one, I think you have to figure out which one is for you. There's a ton of people who don't eat any organ meats and they have it for 20 years and they've been carnivore for 20 years and they eat ribeyes every single day or hamburger. But I I had this weird thing happen this last week where I was like, I need to eat some organs. And that never happens to me because I hate liver. I'm like, I check out. I'm like two bites. I'm like, mm-mm, no. So we went and bought some grass-fed liver, beef liver, and I ate it and I couldn't stop eating it. Ah, interesting. It was so your body needed. It's so interesting to me, you guys. I mean, it is it. One of the things that I notice is my satiety level for whatever foods or, or depending on what I'm eating is directly correlated to typically for me, the amount of fat and protein I have, but then also I'm noticing even just what nutrients I'm getting in my food it really makes a difference. So on my last bodybuilding prep, I had to have cod every day. That was one of the things because it's very high protein, very low calorie, and obviously no fat. Atlanta cod has no fat. It's like 140 calories for five ounces and 40 grams of protein. When I would put that in my chronometer, because then of course I would add an avocado to it, right? Because I needed the fat with it. But when I would put that in my chronometer, every single one of my amino acids on my profile was all the way to the green. Because I was getting all my amino acids just from that serving of cod, which is unreal. And so I, I was thinking that maybe my satiation was coming from all the protein I was consuming. But I tell you, when you actually give your body what it needs, to your point, Melody, it really, really thanks you for it. It, it does. And I think there's a macronutrient um, need that we obviously have. And when you cut out and you stop eating and consuming sugar... And you get those sugar cravings under control first, which is a first step for people, um, that overconsumption of carbs. And then you start having real, what I call real cravings, the real ones, not the sugar ones. Because I, I used to crave chocolate cake and cinnamon rolls. But of course. You know, yep. now, if I'm walking around and going, I could really dig some liver, then things have shifted. That's a big change. And so when you eat it and you feel so satisfied... It's just amazing because your body does have real nutrient requirements, these these macro and micronutrient requirements, and it will tell you if you have taken all the the crap out so you can really listen. 
Yep. And so maybe you're going to walk around one day and say, I could really dig some liver. You're going to go <laughs> find that liver and you're going to, you're going to say, how should I prepare this liver? No, the true test of the real athlete in me is if I'll run a marathon as a carnivore athlete and take frozen liver pills to fuel me during the race. That'll be the real test, right? We were just talking about that. <laughs> really? I, I want to see you do that because I don't want to do it. <laughs> so, so there are, a, you know, there's a lot of people who do take the liver, cut it up, put it on a sheet pan, freeze it, and then just bag it up and have it, you know, just swallow it like a pill. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly fine to do. Um, me, I don't know what was going on. I felt like I was having like a zombie moment. I was. I bought chicken hearts. We're having chicken hearts tonight. Yeah. I've never made chicken hearts. That is awesome. Because I did see chicken liver at the store too when I was there. But we have this amazing fresh meat place not too far from my house. So I'm going to stop there. You guys are inspiring me. This will be good. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're talking about, uh, you, you brought up nutrients. And I think... Something that we run into, and I think you're going to find this as well when you start talking to people, is how brainwashed people are with just looking at calories and not thinking about nutrients. And I know you're learning it, and, and we, we talk about it all the time, but breaking that, that mind, uh, they're, they're fixed on just – it's just calories, and they're not really looking at nutrients. That, that's a, something hard to break people up. It is, and here's one of my approaches with my clients because I feel like everyone in the world can agree – it would really be nice to not have to exert the willpower all the time to resist the cravings. And most people walking around, like going like this past the donut store, hiding their face so they don't see it because you don't want the temptation, right? And so what I try to help people understand is when you start to change your macro and micronutrient ratios, I mean it when I say the cravings go away. Now, am I ever going to be able to walk by a Krispy Kreme and not think, oh God, that'd be awesome right now. Probably not. But it's just that memory in my dopamine receptors that probably would want it. It's not an actual craving, right? Right. It's an emotional connection to it for whatever reason. So I feel like if people can understand they actually have an edge when they start to consume a ketogenic diet and their cravings go away, I mean, that to me just makes the whole process of transitioning out of the sugar that much easier. And that's a great point. The emotional attachment to food. It's not a nutrient attachment. It's an emotional attachment because of of marketing and, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. But, you know, we just had it happen to us over the weekend. We went to a friend's party and they were serving up little strawberry. Oh, little strawberry shortcakes for July 4th, you know. Mm-hmm. Whipped cream with whip, whip, okay, not even whipped cream with cool whip. It was cool whip. Cool it was cool whip. Delicious. You know, we grew up with cool whip, and it has it's an what's scary is it's a non dairy topping that looks like whipped cream. So that should be a red flag right there, right? <laughs> but you look at it and you're like, oh, I remember having things like that, and you get that warm fuzzy feeling. But at the same time, we've done this for so long. We also remember all the negative consequences that happen with a food like that. And that's where people have to get is where it becomes more important to feel healthy than to taste that food. You know, maybe they can do a bite, you know, have one bite and walk away. A lot of people still can't do that. So it's very difficult when they get in those situations. And when you can cut those cravings with keto, like you said, it's so much easier. Yeah. It's so funny you guys say that because when I was at the grocery store this morning, I was going over to get my pasture eggs and I walked by this dairy section and I saw the red ready whip can. Okay. Also mm-hmm. processed, not heavy whipping cream. And I almost went for it because I thought, well, maybe I could just keep that in the fridge for once in a while. And you know, why I did it. I didn't buy it, but why I even had the thought because I had been at my parents' house over the 4th of July and they had it in their fridge. And so it was kind of nostalgic and it was with my nieces and nephews and they wanted it on a Sunday. So I helped them do this Sunday. It's all emotional. There's a real food craving that was going on there, but I saw it. And of course the way it's packaged and the red color reminded me of being at mom and dad. It is so fascinating. If you actually stop to pay attention to what's happening in your system. Yeah. And that's, you know, the the fact that you do that and most people can't, most people don't understand that those emotional attachments and those childhood memories and all that stuff, how it affects what you eat opposed to just listening to your body. And, you know, I I think we do it. I know you do it. Listen to your body and listen to what it's asking for is something that we should be able, everybody should be able to do, but 
we've lost that ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And that's one of the things that in terms of moving forward and getting out of the grind of lawyering every day where I was on such autopilot and just in fight or flight mode where a bear was chasing me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really able to tune in more now, which is really beneficial because, you know, once you do like you guys do, then you can also help your clients do that because you are living proof of the fact that it's able to be done. Right. And this, this kind of brings us to a good point where we're sitting here saying we can walk away from these things. We know what's going on. We've been doing this, right? But someone else who's listening might be saying, I have no idea how to do this. I don't know how to implement these things. And that's where I think your business and your presentation at KetoCon really came in because like we had talked about at the beginning, you gave people a strategy and you want to talk a little bit about your, just what you said in your presentation about a strategy and maybe someone in this podcast today can leave with something that they can actually do. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So what I shared at KetoCon, and I'll just give the very truncated version, is what I have figured out as my kind of three-step method to success. And this you can apply to anything. So for me, I apply it to my marathon training. I apply it to my bodybuilding prep. I apply it to getting ready for a trial. I'm now actually applying it to stuff in my new business. And because it's only three simple steps, I feel like it's really easy for people to be able to apply and take with them. So the three steps are, um, have the acronym IPE, and I'm an IPE professional bodybuilder. So that's kind of cool that it matches that acronym, but it's intention, plan, and execute. And so what I help my clients understand is in terms of intention, what we want to set is something that's pretty specific so that it's actually an actionable intention as opposed to something just ambiguous. So an ambiguous intention, which isn't going to get you to achieve your goals is something like this. I want to lose weight. Whereas a more specific actionable and attainable intention would be in the next 30 days, I will reduce my body fat. And that requires measuring your body fat at the beginning of the 30 days, measuring your body fat at the end. And so that intention is something that you can say, did I actually meet my goal? Because you can measure it at the start and ending. The second point is plan. And I know a lot of people feel a little overwhelmed in terms of planning. It's like, okay, great. I have this great intention. I want to lose body fat. Now what do I do? I really feel that plan, in my personal experience, requires hiring a coach. Um, I've hired coaches for all of the different plans that I've undertaken over the years. And now I'm at the point where I can do my own plans for people and for myself. But sometimes I even hire a coach if it's something I haven't done before. And then you can sort of do variations of it and replicate it and do some changes on your own. But I think the planning part is really important to have the involvement of someone else. And it also helps hold you accountable. And it gives you a roadmap for what you're going to do for those 30 days or 60 days or whatever. And then the final step in the plan, which I talked a lot about at KetoCon also, is execute. And execute requires your adherence to the plan really each day. So a lot of people have this great intention, they have this great plan, and they fail in the execution of it. Why? Well, I argue that it's because they lose sight of their original intention and their why behind that intention. So they don't, they, they abandon the plan. They get afraid. They get in their head. They let fear get in their way. They do all of the things that are considered self-sabotaging behaviors. And so in order to effectively execute, I think it's kind of going back to your coach, asking for support, telling your friends and family, having people check in with you. How's that, you know, 30 day body fat challenge that you're doing working for you. It's that kind of stuff that keeps us accountable to ourselves because we're also accountable to other people. And that allows us to execute on it every day. And also in terms of the IPE process, I really recommend that people don't bite off more than they can chew. I don't think six months of something as a general rule makes sense in terms of a new diet or a new experiment in terms of food or nutrition. I think keeping it to something between 30, 60, or even 90 days makes the most sense. That's a lot of good, a lot of good information for the people that are looking to figure out how to go forward. Well, I think that someone could even apply this if they're brand new to keto, just in their one, one time a day, 
They're going to plan. They're going to have an intention. They're going to plan and they're going to execute. Because a lot of people are living from meal to meal right now or, you know, day to day trying to figure this stuff out. And those three simple steps can help someone be more successful if you just say, for today, my intention is to eat this breakfast, this ketogenic breakfast, and then you accomplish it, you know? Yep. Yep. And I'll... Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll give you the, another example that any of your listeners could take with them today. I mean, I think everyone on the planet should download either the Chronometer app or MyFitnessPal or something that allows you to track what you're eating. But let's say they do Chronometer, which I totally recommend, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R, free in the app store, and start tracking your food for at least a week. Set your macros so that you're saying for this 30-day period, I'm going to eat a macronutrient ratio of 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbs, or 65% fat, 25% protein, something that is a ketogenic profile, which means for all the listeners, 65% or more of your calories come from fat, 15 to 25 of your calories, percent of your calories come from protein, and then 5 to 10% of your calories come from carbs. And even if they do that, as a way to kind of understand what that macronutrient ratio looks like on a plate, every time you eat, you're, you're trying to get towards that for the day. So at the end of the day, that would be your macronutrient ratio in your app. That's a great step because a lot of people coming into this space for the first time, they don't, you know, they don't know where to start and then they don't know what the portions look like, or they don't know how much 65% or 70% fat, what that means on a, you know, in a meal. So that's a really good place for someone to start. And we, we also will tell people, you know, I'm not a fan of tracking all the time just for myself. Cause you know, I did it for so many years, but I still do it every, you know, for periods of time. And I'll have a lot of people who don't want to do that. So you know, I tell people you need to do it for a week, two weeks, a month, just so you can learn what a ketogenic diet looks like. And then if you want to be a more intuitive eater, you know, if you can do that and you don't have, you know, bodybuilding competitions or things that you're preparing for, then that's fine. But when you are preparing like you are for bodybuilding competitions, dialing in those tight macros becomes a lot more important Mm -hmm. and the tracking and everything. But maybe for the everyday person, they don't want to do it long-term, but yeah, one, two weeks at least just to learn it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think it's something people have to do forever. And I would love if all of us could be so in touch with our bodies that we could eat intuitively all the time, right? I just think that it's really important for people. Here's Here's how I describe it. I say, what I'm looking to help you do is to become a conscious eater. We are going to be consciously consuming nutrients and food in our body. And the only way you can do that, if you're very unconscious about what you're putting in your body right now, is to do this sort of macro tracking for just a period of time so that you start to understand, oh, that I, wow, I was really eating that much in carbohydrates. I mean, people are floored when they start tracking their food. A lot of people have no idea where these hidden sugars are. I'll give an example. I had one of those kombuchas today and I knew, okay, if you have that, you're going to have 12 grams of net carbs. You're going to, but I thought I'm going to intentionally have that when I have this other meal because I wanted some digestive enzymes, forgot my probiotics at home. And that was intentional. But now, because I know I had that kombucha, you know, I'm going to be really careful later in the day with other carbohydrates because I've already had 12 for the day. Exactly. So when you learn it, you can be more just aware of those things. And when I say I don't track, it's funny. I just don't put it in my phone all the time. I have a notebook, notebook after notebook. I keep composition (laughs) notebooks like this. Like I have dozens of these (laughs) and they're all filled with every day. I write down my workouts and all my food. So it's tracked. It's just not in an app. So I'm kind of a liar. I do track track every day. Well, uh, and Kristen, you talked about earlier, you have a, a number that people can text so they can get some more information. Yes. Thank you for reminding me, Steve. I appreciate it. So that number, if you text the word energetic to the number 66866, then you will receive a text. It'll ask you to put in your email and just put in your email address and I'll send you the free PDF download of this meal plan. And, and for all the people who are like, just tell me what to eat. It is spelled out beautifully <laughs> in this PDF. You won't have to think about it. You might have to run to the store 
but you know, you're going to have to do that anyway. Yep. Yeah. And, and I tried to make it really simple in terms of you're going to be eating the same thing for six days of the week. And then the next the seventh day, you're going to be eating something different. So it, that for me, that's what allowed me to sort of have the successes that I did is I, I had to make it simple. No one wants to be cooking every single day for hours on end. And frankly, I don't think anyone has the time to be doing that. Right. And you do have it where it's a six day meal plan, like you said, with a seventh day, that's a little different and they're going to be eating that for six weeks. Yes. Now, if people just want to try it for three weeks and see how they feel, but I really encourage people to do it for at least four weeks, ideally six. Right. Because we always say, what? What do we just all say? 30 days is minimum, really. 30 days is the minimum to try something (laughs) out. Somebody forgets that. I'm not sure who it is. When I wanted to do the carnivore with no dairy, I said, how about, you know, I'm just going to do two weeks and see what happens. And he, he looks at me and says... You really need to do 30. And I, I wasn't sure how to take that. But he was like, you know, you have to do 30 days of anything. And I was like, I know, I know. It was, it was really funny. So. so everybody goes through that. You know, we go through that. You talk about experimenting with your diet. We always experiment with stuff we're doing. So anybody that's listening knows that, you know, we, nobody finds the one thing and they do it forever. They're always searching for the next thing and changing things up, always experimenting with, with their workouts, their diets, and their lifestyles. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we could spend a whole nother episode someday down the road about lifestyle stuff, but you know, I do the juve light and I do the infrared sauna and I do cold showers and do all these other longevity hacks in terms of figuring out how I can optimize my health and fitness and be as efficient as possible about my sleep and my day and my life. So, wow. So something on the lifestyle, just real quick, because we're both must have had cortisol dysregulation. (laughs) Um, Something that I started doing recently is grounding. And if, you know, we're at computers, we're on our phones. So going outside and bare feet on the ground, just for a few minutes a day, that grounding. And I thought, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll work. No, seriously, it is, it is, sounds crazy. But when you touch the earth, something happens. And it sounds a little woo-woo, but it improves sleep because we're so connected to devices to connect to the earth and ground. It kind of relieves that and resets us. So from one cortisol junkie to another. (laughs) I actually love that. I don't think it sounds woo-woo at all. And I'm going to incorporate that. That's an awesome tip. That's great. How long it had been since I had been barefoot outside. Mm -hmm. And it had been a long time. That's awesome. Very cool. We've taken up a lot of your time and we we appreciate you uh, being here, but we don't want to consume your entire day. Um, Anything else you want to put out? Like I know uh, you do a lot on Instagram. Uh, We talked about your website already. Your website's coming. I got on there and it says coming soon. So everyone (laughs) needs to make sure they, that um, don't you have something on there that will notify people when it is um, up? Is there- yeah, so so a couple things. It is coming soon, and I'm going to send out an email to people who have opted into my list, and you can do that by getting this meal plan. And then I will also announce that on Instagram and on LinkedIn, which are my two primary um, forms of social media right now. I am adding the Facebook component because I really want to have the opportunity to do Facebook Lives and groups, and I just hadn't done that in the past. I keep saying I'm the only human born in the 70s who's not on Facebook, and I probably think that's a good... like totally true. So I'm learning all of that too, which is really fun. And I really just want the ability to connect with people, especially through video and through live chat. So I'm going to be adding that service as well. And LinkedIn and email and Instagram will be the three places where I'll announce those things. Yeah. And you can do lives on Instagram too. Yes. Yes. So you are MN Golden Girl on Instagram. And what about on LinkedIn? So on LinkedIn, you can just search with my name. So it's Kristen Rowell, R-O-W-E-L-L. And Kristen is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N. And then I come up on LinkedIn that way. My profile is pretty public. Um, And then my website is energeticallyefficient.com. And that will be coming very soon. All right. So everyone, make sure you go. And if you missed it, go back and get that number. You can text to and get the meal plan and then keep up with Kristen on those social media platforms to see what's coming next. Yep. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. 
Yeah. yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, we appreciate everyone listening. We especially appreciate Kristen. Uh, she mentioned all the lifestyle things. So I, I automatically had another podcast going in my head about talking all that kind of stuff. Um, so we appreciate everybody listening. We hope you have a great day. Uh, go out there, eat fat and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.